Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. The Barna Group is a leading research organization. Some of you may have heard of them. Uh, they are focused on the intersection of faith and culture. And they do a lot of different studies. Uh, this past Tuesday, they released their newest findings, and they were findings on evangelical millennials. Now, millennials are those between the age of 20 years old and 34. So this was a study done on evangelical or Christian millennials, age 20 through 34. Some encouraging findings. Uh, 96 of these Christian millennials believe that being a Christian means being a witness for Jesus. 94%, the best thing that could ever happen to someone is coming to know Jesus. 86%, know how to respond when someone raises questions of faith. And 73% believe they're gifted at sharing their faith with other people. But Here's the crazy thing. In spite of all the previous encouraging stats, 47% of Christian millennials believe it's somewhat wrong to share your personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes they will follow Jesus. What? It's almost like it doesn't make sense on the first stats. In other words, for this generation, the possibility of offending someone makes witnessing wrong. That's what it means. Half of all Christian millennials basically believe that preaching the gospel is somewhat wrong. So in other words, this verse is wrong. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. That means half of all Christian millennials would believe this verse is wrong. That to be witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth, that's wrong. Um, Here's another one. Matthew 28. Jesus was wrong. Basically, when he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. So these three words, and and these words, and these three commands of Jesus, in other words, Jesus is somewhat wrong. Do you agree with that? No. Jesus is not somewhat wrong. See, if it offends somebody, it must be wrong. That's what half of this generation believes. Now, we've got to be careful to not let culture condition us on what is right and wrong. We do not let culture condition us on what is right and what is wrong. See, see what is wrong is ignoring the eternal outcome of someone's soul. That, that's wrong. What's wrong is having the solution to somebody's sin and not sharing it. That's what's wrong. What's wrong is caring more about my feelings. And I don't want to feel rejected. And I don't want to lose a possible friend. And so I'm not going to tell someone about God's love. No, that's what's wrong. Now, you may say, well, what's wrong with these millennials today? People need Jesus, and Jesus is the only way to be saved, and people are eternally lost without Christ, and what's wrong with this Tide Pod-eating snowflake generation anyway? Whoa, 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 whoa. You just fell right into it, buddy, let me tell you. (laughs) Mocking an age group never wins anybody over. 
and it's the surest way to lose and close ears and stop dialogue. And, and, and I don't want us to be too hard on millennials. Why? Because when's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? Have you made sure all of your coworkers have heard about Jesus? Oh, you can be real tough on the millennials, but you haven't opened your mouth either. How about all your neighbors that you've lived next to for 10 years? Have you reached out to them? Cared for their souls? Shared the love of Christ with them? Classmates? Teammates? Is your soul burdened for complete strangers when you run into them? To find out where they are on their spiritual journey. To see if they know this God who loves them so much that he died on the cross for them. To share the love of Jesus with them. Well, well, that's, that's different, Scott. Oh, is it? I don't think so. I, I think uh, sharing our faith is something, yeah, maybe half the millennials struggle with, but I also think it's half what all believers struggle with. And I believe all of us as believers struggle at times. Every single one of us at times are afraid to share our faith, including myself. You may say, well, I just, I don't know what to say to people about God, and I don't know what to say, and I don't know how to share my faith, and, and, and I struggle being a voice for God. Well, I want us today to look at a man who is a voice for God, and he's found in John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you don't, we'll have the verses up on the screen for you. And we saw this man. His name is John the Baptist. And, and he proclaims himself, I am a voice in the wilderness. And we saw last week, John is nobody to look at, but he's someone to listen to. This is a long-haired, hippie, Nazarite vow-keeping, bug-eating, camel-hair-wearing dude. And he's weird, but he's awesome. And he's just sharing with people about God. And, and we hear his voice, and his voice is so effective, and he cares for people, and he cares for the things of God. And, and, and we hear this voice speak in John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, after being accosted and interrogated by these guys, the next day, he, was, he, he saw Jesus coming to him. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel. I came baptizing in water. And John testified saying, I've seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained on him. And I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, upon he whom you see the spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this This is the Son of God. Now, we do not have the same ministry as John. But we can learn from the ministry of John. And as John was a voice, so God has given you and I a voice. So so what do I tell people? Tell them this. He is the Lamb of God. Say that with me. He is the Lamb of God. You're not sure what to tell people. You're not sure how to talk to somebody about the Lord. You tell them, Jesus is the Lamb of God. In other words, he is the solution for their sin. 
Say that with me. Tell people Jesus is the solution for their sin. This world is filled with people who deny their sin, who run from their sin, who blame their sin on other people, who try to deaden the pain of their sin with alcohol and drugs and spending sprees and you name it. This world is filled with people who are overwhelmed with the guilt of their sin and the shame of their sin. And they don't know what to do about their sin. Every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us. And Jesus is the solution for our sin. That's what you tell people about Jesus. I know somebody who can help you. I know somebody who will forgive you. I know somebody who will take the shame away. I know someone that will, that will just grant you grace and forgiveness. I know somebody. That's what we tell them. He's the Lamb of God. He's the solution for sin. We see here the next day, after being questioned and interrogated and harassed by these religious leaders, John sees Jesus. He sees Jesus coming to him. And I want you to understand this. This is not the main point of this passage, but I believe the truth is there. That when you have a clear view of Jesus, you can't help but talk about Jesus. When you have a clear view of who he is, you want to talk about him. In other words, we're not going to talk about him if we don't see him. And we're not talking about physically seeing Jesus today. But seeing him in my life every day. And talking to him. And spending time with him. And keeping him in view. See, if I am spending time with the Lord each and every day, I'm going to be more apt to talk about the Lord each and every day. And the reason why some of us don't talk about Jesus is we don't have a clear view of him. We don't spend time with him like we should. Because if we're really spending time with our Savior, and he's real in our life, we will so much more easily want to share him with others. Behold him in your life, and you'll announce him to the world. And that's exactly what John is doing in verse 29. He says, behold. Behold meaning look at this. Don't miss this. You know, if if you're at work or you're in the house or, or you're somewhere in a classroom and you see this beautiful rainbow outside or you see this beautiful sunrise or sunset, you grab everybody around you say, you come here, come on outside, come to the window, look at this. Ah, Jesus is so much better than a rainbow, than a sunrise, than a sunset. And we've got to tell people, would you look at him? Would you see him? He is the solution for your sin. Behold him. And John makes this public declaration, declaring in front of all of these crowds of people, look at the lamb. Behold Jesus. There's no fear. There's no shame. There's only excitement for Jesus. Why? Because he alone is the solution for our sin. Point people to the solution for their sin. They've been running from their sin. They can't run. They've been trying to deaden the pain of their sin. They can't do it. 
They've been trying to blame everybody for their sin, but they know the blame is on them. That they're filled with guilt and they're filled with shame. Jesus will take care of their sin. Tell people. Now we have this incredible statement. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Notice John doesn't say, behold, the Messiah or the Christ or the prophet. Those were the three things the religious leaders asked him about in the previous passage. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the prophet? No, 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 no. He doesn't use any of these words. He doesn't even say he's my cousin or cousin because he's related to him. He says, he's the lamb. What do you see when you see Jesus? Who do you see when you see Jesus? What do you see first? Who do you see first? Someone that can answer my prayer and get me what I want? Give me what I want, get me where I want to go? Or do we see the lamb? Do we see the one so in love with our soul that he died for our sins? So in love with us in spite of all of our sin. I I pray that we see the one who died for us. Who loves us. And who forgives us. Why the lamb though? Why does John use the lamb? John is familiar with lambs. You remember, John the Baptist is the son of a priest. He's seen lambs sacrificed and slain his whole life. His dad, Zacharias, slew many lambs. He's seen flocks of lambs, uh, you know, his entire life on their way to the temple to be sacrifices. And, And by the way, at the temple, twice a day, they were sacrificed. And before the temple at the tabernacle, Exodus 29, 38. This is what you shall offer on the altar. Two one-year-old lambs each day continuously. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Two a day at the temple plus thousands of lambs slain for personal sacrifice because of their sin and their guilt offering. He has seen so many lambs killed, sacrificed, blood spilled. Every morning, every night, for the entire history of Israel, a lamb was sacrificed. Not counting all the lambs people brought for their own personal sins. Think about Israel's earliest history when you think of the lamb. In Genesis, we listen to the interchange of Abraham and his son Isaac in Genesis 22. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, they're making their way to Mount Moriah, where the temple will one day be. He said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And he did. Not only in Genesis do we see the lamb as the substitute, in Exodus we see the lamb as protection from destruction. In Exodus chapter 12, as the Israelites are being ready to go out of Egypt miraculously by the hand of God, 
Speak to all the congregation of Israel. They are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's households. A lamb for each household. Verse 5. The lamb shall be an unblemished male a year old. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat. It is the Lord's what? Passover. Verse 12. For I will go through the land of Egypt on the night. On that night, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will what? Pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Taking the blood of the lamb, putting it on the doorposts and the lintel of the door, Having faith in that blood that God will not judge me and that I will live. It goes all the way back to the history of Israel. In Genesis, in Exodus, in the prophets, two great passages point to the Lamb. Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. And in Jeremiah eleven nineteen. But I was like a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. Exodus, Genesis, the prophets, and then later even in Revelation, the lamb. The word lamb will be used 29 times. We see Revelation 5, one of those times. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is on heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them. And I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory, dominion forever and ever. I love how Warren Wearsby puts it. In Genesis, we hear, where is the lamb? In John, behold the lamb. And in Revelation, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. See, I want you to understand, when John said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he said that of Jesus. Jesus is the substitutionary lamb. 1 Timothy 2.6 who gave himself a ransom for all. Jesus paid the price for you. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem us. He paid the price for us. He's the substitute. He's the Passover in 1 Corinthians 5.7. For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. So, So it's not the blood of lambs, but the blood of the Lamb of God that I place my faith in. It is because of Jesus dying for me that the judgment of God passes over me. Make sure the blood of the lamb is applied to your life or judgment will fall upon you. You must place your faith in the lamb of God and his sacrificial death for you, for your sins. It's the only way the judgment of God will pass over you. He's the silent, gentle lamb, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah and Jeremiah When questioned by the high priest in Mark 14, do you not say, do you not answer? What are these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. When questioned by Pilate in Matthew 27, do you not hear how many things are testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to a single charge. 
He's the substitute. He's the Passover. He's the silent and gentle one. And he is the sacrificial lamb offered one time. One time for all humanity. All of the tens of thousands of sacrificial lambs throughout all of the history of Israel foreshadowed the ultimate lamb of God. Behold the lamb. Hebrews 10.10. By this will we have been by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time and time the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. Understand that. All of those sacrifices could never take away sin. But he that is Jesus, the Lamb of God, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. He is the sinless the sinless Lamb of God, who redeems us in 1 Peter 1, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ. Here's the difference. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is God. I am am sinful. I am a man. You are sinful. You are women and men. Humanity. We needed a substitute who would die for our sins, who was sinless. And we needed a substitute that was like us, human. God becomes a man and dies for my sins. God became a man and died for your sins. He's your substitute. He's your sacrifice. And you can now go to heaven because Jesus has died for your sins. John next says, He takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Our biggest problem is sin. This world is infested with sin. Sin is everywhere. Sin taints everything. Sin taints everyone. This is a depraved, sinful, fallen world. And by the way, I'm infested with sin. And so are you. Last year, my son came home from a camp, and he brought his suitcase in upstairs to his room, and he brought some friends home with him called bedbugs. That's what they look like. This is also what they look like. The, the clear one hasn't eaten yet. The red one has sucked on your blood and is waiting for seconds. Bedbugs are attracted to your CO2, your exhale. So as you're laying in bed, breathing in and breathing out, they come out at night while they're sleeping, they crawl all over you, and they suck your blood. And you don't feel their bite, because they inject you with a saliva that's an anesthetic to deaden the area. And when you wake up, you have rows of red spots, and you assume they're spider bites, and you assume wrong, people. 
me give you a piece of advice. Your kid goes home or goes off to camp and comes back, or you go to some hotel and you come back, you leave that suitcase in the garage, okay? And then when you're ready, you bring that stuff right into the washing machine and you put it right in the washer, whether you think it's dirty or not. And you wash it and you dry everything on high heat. Why is it so hard to get rid of bed bugs? Let me tell you why. The females lay one to ten eggs every day. The eggs hatch every six to ten days. The eggs are not susceptible to any pesticide or treatment. They're only susceptible when they hatch. Single female bed bug can cause an infestation of more than 5,000 bed bug babies within six months. They typically live four to six months, these, these female bed bugs, and they can live up to a year. And they can multiply, by the way. Go to bed with the bed bugs. Let me say, well, what did you do when you found out you had bed bugs? We burned the house down, man. <laughs> no, we didn't. But we praise God. It was a miracle of God. It was only contained to my son's room. That was it. And we never had a picture of him like that last one. What did we do? We called Vince Vasquez and his son Vince. They, they own Armor Exterminating. Vince is on staff here. He came out six or seven times. They tore the room apart. They flipped mattresses. They took the bed frame apart. They looked over every square inch, sprayed in vents and pictures off walls and blinds down and curtains. They, we emptied the drawers of clothes. We washed and dried everything numerous times, carried all of the furniture outside, washed everything down, sprayed everything everything down. We treated the room with liquids, with aerosols, with dust products. And, and we just, and then we moved everything back in and we moved it in too soon because those eggs started hatching again. And we found them again and we had to go through and wash all the clothes again and inspect everything again and take everything apart again and treat the room again and again and again. I'm amazed that room didn't glow with the amount of chemicals in that thing. How did you finally know they were gone? We surrounded my son's bed with glue traps all the way around. And then someone had to volunteer to be bed bug bait. (laughs) Try to sleep at night in that room. I don't care how many glue traps there are. Every time I just something heard something move, I was like, (laughs) oh my goodness man I'm telling you I slept in there I don't know how many nights in a row I slept in there praise God we didn't catch a single bed bug but you know what happened I woke up oh my goodness I'm covered with glue traps oh it's horrible they're on the sheets the pillow I mean I must have moved the comforter around I got on my myself on the side of the bed oh it was just anyway I'm, I'm just telling you Bed bugs are horrible. Sin is so much more horrible. The infestation of sin in our lives is so much more horrible. And guys, when it comes to the treatment of sin in your life and mine, it's not going to take an aerosol of good deeds trying to outweigh your bad ones. And it's not going to take some kind of dust of self-help books 
to get you better. It, it's it's, it's going to take a liquid. And it's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that can cleanse you from your infestation of sin. That's it. Nothing else will work except Jesus Christ and his blood. Or as Robert Lowry asked in 1876, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this I plea, my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing of, not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now by this I'll overcome, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now by this I'll reach my home, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Glory, glory, this I sing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. All my praise for this I bring, nothing but the blood of Jesus, sing it with me. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Say it. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Our biggest problem is sin. And only Jesus can take away our sin. And it's nothing but the blood of Jesus. He is your substitute. He's your sacrifice. He's the one that died. And it says here, behold the Lamb of God who takes away, takes away sin. All of it. In in other words, every rotten, stinking, sinful thing I've ever done in my life, he's taken it away. Doesn't matter what I did as a kid, as a teenager, doesn't matter what I've done as an adult. It doesn't matter what you've done this past week, 30 years ago. doesn't matter what you did this morning. Jesus can take away your sin. Let him take it away. I put the trash out on Thursday night. Oh, I don't know about you. It feels so good to empty the trash in the house and get rid of it. Anybody else feel that way? Just go around the house, you get all the trash, you put it in the trash can, you put it out on the side, and it's like, whoo, done, clean, it feels great. By the way, we have a big dog, and we have a yard, and all the snow melted. So I went around the yard, picked up all this stuff, kind of reminded me of this, this meme, the snow is melting, so much dog poop, so, so much. <laughs> so, so got this big bag of dog stuff, all right? Nasty dog stuff. Put it in that can. It is gone. That feels so good. It's gone. So the next morning, trash man comes. I go out, bring in the, and the trash can's a little heavy. I look in there. That bag's still in there. I don't know. Stuff melted, frozen there, or the bag ripped. I'm hoping the bag didn't rip. 
And I have to pull that thing and drag it back and put it on the side of the house again. I thought it was gone. You know what? Jesus took all my sin and it's not coming back. I don't have to drag it around. I don't have to look at it anymore. I want you to understand that, Christian. All your sin is gone. It was taken away. Jesus didn't leave any of it left over. You don't have to drag it around anymore. Some of you think you have to. Some of you have to think you have to drag the sin of the past around and remind yourself about how bad. You've been saved. You've been forgiven. You're a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. It's gone is what it is. As a matter of fact, Psalm 103.11. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. His love is immeasurable. You cannot measure the love of God. It is higher than imagination. You can't even, you can't comprehend God's love for you. So he says, as far as you can look up and then as far as you can look east and west, your sin is gone. I've taken it away. It's gone. It's gone because of my love for you. It's gone. But it says he's taken away the sin of the world. The sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The world means all humanity. All people of all times, generations before us, generations to come, all peoples regardless of the country they live in, the language they speak, their ethnicity, their color, their age, it doesn't matter, all the world, he's died for their sins, to take away their sins. Isaiah 53, the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Verse 11, my servant will justify the many. He will bear their iniquities. Verse 12, he poured out himself to death, numbered with the transgressors. He himself bore the sin of the many, interceded for transgressors. So if he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that means everybody gets to go to heaven, right? No. That's called universalism. And that's called a false doctrine. Because not all people come to Christ. Not all people are saved. Matthew chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide. And the way is broad that leads where? To destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So there is a broad, super highway that most of the world is just barreling down, having a great time in this life. And there's a small backcountry road. That's the way to heaven. And not too many people want to go that way because of their pride, their arrogance. They don't need God. They'll figure it out on their own. Sadly, this verse teaches that the vast majority of people, listen, do not go to heaven. 
they never receive the treatment for their sin. They stay infested with sin. Their trash never gets taken out. It just piles up more and more and more in their life. And the Lord Jesus is ready to heal them of the sin of infestation if they would just let him. And the Lord Jesus wants to take their trash out forever so they never see it again. And they won't let him. If you're here today without Jesus, I want to encourage you to let him heal the infestation of sin in your life. If you're here today without Jesus, would you please let him take out the trash? The sin in your life has just been piling up and you continue to sin and sin and sin and sin with this weight of shame and guilt and the Lord wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to take all of your sin away. But you've got to let him do it. It says here that he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, if he takes away the sin of the world, what exactly does that mean? It means Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for all. He could take everybody's trash away. But it's efficacious or effective only to those who ask him to do it. You've got to ask the Lord to do it. In other words, just because someone buys you a gift doesn't mean you keep it. Some of you were given a gift and you're like, what's that? Return that thing. You're done with it. Of course, when they gave it to you, oh, thank you so much. It's perfect. Liar. Just because someone gives you a gift doesn't mean you keep it. Some see the gift as worthless. Much of this world sees the gift of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, as worthless. I don't need Jesus. I don't want Jesus. And they scorn this priceless gift of forgiveness. I want to encourage you not to scorn the gift. You need to receive the gift today. You need to let Jesus take all the trash of your sin. You need to let him heal you of your sin. He can do it if you just let him. And I want to encourage you who are here today to be the voice. Because this world is dying and going to hell. And God needs you to speak up. Because people need to know there is a God who will take out their trash and a God who will heal them. So what do I tell people and what do you tell people? Tell them this. Say it with me. He is the Lamb of God. He is the solution for sin. So be a voice and use your voice and tell people. If you've been prompted by this message, and are in need of a new beginning, or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.